Good morning. Welcome to September the 15th, kickoff Sunday, as Jason mentioned. To uh, hope you're going to stay and enjoy. At least the last time I looked out, the weather still looked awesome. It's a great day. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. Welcome to those of you listening online as well. I started a series last Sunday called Changed on the cover of your bulletin. And in many ways, it was uh, an opportunity to begin our year, that is our, our church year, so to speak, the year that begins the program year in September, to talk about, you might say, uh, the core commitments of what it means to be a disciple. You know, I, I like to think, just like when you're a student in school, you know, you, know, you want to get a sense of, you know, what does the year hold for me, and what are, the, what are the things I need to be working on? And the Christian life is that way. You know, sometimes we think of the Christian life as transactions, and there are transactions in them. But you don't become a mature Christ follower um, by checking a box or by praying a prayer. Um, it's, not a, it's not a transaction. It's, it's, a, it's a growth in life, right? I mean, if you, those of you who are married, you think about what it means to um, have a successful marriage through all the challenges. That's just a, you know, a shadow, you might say, an example um, of what it means to have a long-term relationship with God. So this morning, I want to talk about the importance of community in both knowing God's will for your life and in experiencing God's will for your life. There's a term, many of you heard of it, um, in the New Testament called the body of Christ. It's a metaphor. And what it means is, of course, Jesus isn't walking the streets of Rochester or Galilee today. He rose from the dead. He's in heaven in a manner of speaking. And, and the, we experience the living Christ in the church and so the body of the church becomes the body of Christ, at least in two important ways. In its engagement with the world, you might say, where is God in the world? Well, he's in, in, he's in the church. That's the answer. The body of Christ, whether it's in a room like this or in a thousand different ways, manifold ways all over the world in small and medium places, he is active in the world through the church. So the body of Christ is the way in which God engages the world today. Christ is in us. But the body of Christ also is the way that God communicates to us. I'm talking about each other. Yes, this is paramount. I hope you believe that. Um, the, God speaks through his words, as timeless and as alive as it was uh, 2,000 years ago um, when it was put down in book form. Uh, but he also speaks about his will for your life through the voices of other imperfect people like the ones you're sitting next to and listening to this morning. So this morning's message is titled, um, Under the Change Series, A New Community. And we're going to look at the importance of a community, uh, a tight community, an accountable community as Christians this morning in a message titled, um, as I said, A New Community. Matthew 18, you have a copy of the Bible, open it up. Matthew 18, we'll look at verses 15 through 20. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. You can follow along as I read. If your brother or sister sins, I don't think he's talking here about your blood brother or sister necessarily, but in the body of Christ. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. 
But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to even listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. A new community. First thing I think this passage says to us, the 21st century church, is you are your brother's keeper, right? I am my brother's keeper or my sister's keeper. You know, you know where that phrase comes from. Most of you probably do. It comes from the Bible. It's sort of a cliche or a commonly used phrase to <clears throat> agree with or disagree with, you know, in, in our culture in, in Genesis chapter 4. You know, God calls out one of the, the early uh, family there. And, you know, so there's been a conflict between, in this case, blood brothers. And, you know, sometimes we like to just bury our conflicts in the sand, or so to speak. But God always knows. And he says, hey, you know, uh, Cain, you know, what gives with your brother, you know? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? Like, you know, what are you asking me for? It's his life. It's his business and the truth is, we are our brother's keeper. In the New Testament, what the New Testament says loudly, but that I have to admit that we, myself included, we often ignore, is that you cannot achieve your potential. I cannot achieve my potential as a Christian without people challenging me and encouraging me in my life. Now, when I say you can't reach your potential, I'm not talking about material success. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about if I want to reach my potential as to become Christ-like, if I want to reach my potential to experience the fruits of the Spirit, right, joy and faithfulness and self-control, if I want to reach my potential to express the full measure of the gifts that God has put in me, right, as Jesus said to Peter, you know, Satan desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, right, and, and I will call you, um, you, you've been called, you know, I will call you Peter, you've been Simon, I'm going to call you Rock. In other words, you, you right now, you, you, people would call you relatively impetuous and unstable, but I see past the obvious, past the present, to what you can be. And he says, he, he, gives, he names Peter. In a sense, God does that to all of us. But what the, what the scriptures scream to us is, I'm never going to be that. And it doesn't matter. Sometimes you just think, well, it, it takes five years. It takes 10 years. It takes 12 years. It takes decades. Yes and no. There are Christians in this room People may have been Christians for five and seven years that, are, that have surpassed in maturity people who have been Christians twice as long as them, right? Doesn't always, it's not a chronological thing, right? It's about the choices we make, and one of the most important choices we can make, and it's not an easy one, is to intentionally involve other people in your life, right? That's what we're talking about here. You are your brother's keeper. Just think of these three. I could, I could have written more. I'm just going to quote very quickly three uh, promises in the scripture along this line. But 
Don't, you know, uh, raise your hand or whatever, but think about your life as I think about mine I did this week. Of whether or not these are true in your life, a little bit, a, a some, or a lot. Jesus said this to his disciples, really to us by extension. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, when Jesus said those words, he, he wasn't on a cross yet. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean go die for people in, an, in, in the way that he died, right? He means, what does Jesus mean? I think he means, um, you know, if you look back words from that statement, he means speak honestly to the people in your life. Be vulnerable, as Jesus was in his life. Three times he told his disciples, they're going to arrest me, and, and they, it went right over their head. There's honesty, there's vulnerability, there's sacrifice, right? At least those three things Jesus demonstrated. Love one another as I have loved you. Ephesians 4, speak truth to one another in love, okay? Speak the truth to one another in love, and the rest of that verse says something like, so that you'll become mature, okay? Ephesians, I think it's 4.15, right? Do, I mean, when it says, almost says speak the truth and love that you come mature, they're probably not saying, oh, gee, John, uh, I really, you, you really look nice today, or Heidi, you really look nice today, or, or thanks for, you know, uh, giving me the, this or that. I mean, in other words, speaking the truth and love implies that you're going to say something a little more substantive, say something that might be hard to hear, but I want you to hear it in a way that you understand my motivation is not to be one up on you, it's not to harm you, it's not to show you that I'm right and you're wrong, but to encourage you. Okay? Speak the truth to one another in love. How about this? Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 1. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I know you, you say what I, instantly, without even thinking it, I say, I got enough burdens of my own. <laughs> but what it means um, to be a Christian, how we're supposed to live it out, is to bear one another's burdens. You know, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all else, love each other deeply. Now it tells you what it is. Because love exposes a multitude of sins. Am I right? No. Okay, it doesn't say that. Love covers a multitude of sins. Okay? And I don't think what he means by that is, oh, look the other way from people who abuse you and just abuse the world and are... No. Matthew 18, 15 says, go to them privately and talk to them, but I'm going to do everything in my power, if you're in my life and I have an invested relationship with you, to do this, to speak the truth in love, but I'm going to keep it out. I'm going to keep it as private as I can because love covers the multitude of sins, right? I'm not going to be what God wants me to be if I don't have that kind of experience in my... You can become a Christian, many of you know this, in a private act of faith in a manner of speaking, right? In other words, you know, you may have a, a, become a Christian, everyone's a little different, but you know, maybe it was privately in your kitchen, it was in a church service, but it was private, who knows? You, a, you, you become a Christian. There's a lot of people I think that are gonna be in heaven that we're gonna be surprised they're there, right? I mean that. I mean, in other words, we, you know, God's net is very broad and very wide, and not everybody is, everyone's in process, and, you know, I think God, you know, if people have trusted Christ, I think God sees that and he only sees the heart. But in other words, um, you know, it, it, it's a broad net. And you can do that on your own. 
in a prison cell, you know, on a deathbed, whatever the case may be. But you cannot mature as a Christian on your own. It is not possible in the New Testament, which is why God sent Nathan, if you know that story, to David, King David, right? I mean, when you're the king of Israel or, you know, the president of, uh, you know, you have an important place in your life. Maybe even, you know, you're the dad of the family, whatever. But when you're the king of Israel, and this is, you know, nothing's changed in, you know, thousands of years, you know, you don't have a lot of truth tellers in your life, right? Because everybody works for you. Right? And so, you know, you don't often aren't going to find a lot of people that say, you know, you're late for this or you haven't paid this bill or you haven't done your, you know, it's just, yes, sir, you're wonderful, okay? And David, who was a great king in many ways, but he was a sinner. He was a man who, um, you know, put on his uh, pants one leg at a time. He was not perfect. And he did some egregious things. Some of you know this. Things that would be very hard to call somebody on even your best friend or your anybody who committed the kinds of things that David did, it'd be very, very hard, you know. I'm just thinking it was my brother or my friend or if someone did, it would be very hard for me to knock on the door if I had that information, which seemed to be a private information. But God sent David uh, someone who was willing, who had the courage in love to say, I got to call you out on something. I'm going to tell you what nobody else wants to tell you. That's why Jesus confronted Peter, right? I mean, if anyone we can say that, I can't speak for Nathan, but I think Jesus has perfect love. At the the end of the gospel, John 21, I believe, you know, Jesus comes to Peter and he, he, he presses on that button. It's very intentional. Some of you know the story, some of you don't. But Peter denied the chief apostle, the head uh, a leader of the early church, denied under pressure that he even knew who Jesus was, not once but three times. And it says in one of those times, it says, with cursing, with cursing, whatever that means, right? I don't know the man. Jesus, what are you talking about? Curse, 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 get away from me, right? Can you imagine? The chief apostle. And we know about it, and we've known about it for 2,000 years. It's a hard burden to bear. So Jesus meets with him, and Jesus, um, he, he gets right at it. And, and many of you know this. You know, three times Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And it's clear. I think scholars for 2,000 years have said this, that Jesus is very specifically bringing up his denials, right? There's no question. Do you love me? And Peter's shocked. You know, yes, I love you. Let's, next question, can we move on? Let's talk about somebody else. Jesus said to him again, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. You're breaking my heart. Now, why is Jesus doing that? Because Jesus is, um, wants to say, I told you so, and I'm right and you're wrong. No, he did it to win them over. Because you know what he said to Peter at the end of that? It's an amazing story. I take so much comfort in it as a Christian and as a minister. He said, after the third time, or really said it all three times, he didn't say, now um, go home and think about it. He didn't say, um, you know, you're going to go to heaven, but you're going to go back to the back of the bus or whatever. He did, he did he start all over again. He said, this is what he said. Um, get back to work and feed my sheep. I'm giving you your job back as the apostle. And what you're going to do in Acts chapter 2 is going to be 
exponentially greater than anything you've ever done so far. Got his job back, okay? That's speaking the truth in love. That's going the extra mile, not in order to be one up on somebody, but to win them over. It's a whole lot easier to mind your own business. I know that, like you know that. But I would say this to you, it's not more loving to do that for the people that God has put in your life. Let me tell you a quick story. Seven or eight years ago, someone asked, was asking me this after service. Maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was nine years ago. One of the things I like to forget. I got a, a call from the chairman of our elder board. And he called me and said, um, I got a letter. Someone wrote a letter to me, to us about you. Um, it's serious and we need to talk. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and I, he sent me the letter first. I was two elders I, I, in this engagement. And in that letter, it was about someone I had known, not for actually very long, but I knew them. And in the time that I knew them, I had offended them, both by things that I said and things that I did. And when I read that letter, I'm telling you, I was, I was in shock um, for many reasons. Just shocked to hear it. I didn't, um, I didn't expect it. I, I, didn't ex I didn't know the, that they would have felt that way. And it, it was, and, and, and between the time I got that and the time that we sat down, it might have been a day or two, you know, can we meet you Friday or whatever? And in those day or two, I'll tell you, I went from a range of emotions from, you know, sadness to I'm ashamed to how big is this going to get? Is, am I going to, maybe I won't, maybe it's time, maybe I'll lose my job. You know, I don't know. I, I, I just didn't know what it would mean. Um, and uh, I uh, sat down, and when we, when we got together, I, was, I said, guys, you know, I was shocked, but this did happen. You know, although I was shocked, everything in that letter was true. But I'm deeply um, sad, sorry about it. I'm, I'm ashamed, and I just want to be very straight with you. And so they reached out to this party. Then I did, subsequently, and this party received uh, the apology, and, and, and in that situation, it was ended. And then these guys sat down with me and said in so many words, um, Rob, we love you. We believe in you. Um, but you can do better. And now go back to work, okay? Now, two things quickly. You might say, why are you telling me a story that's seven or eight years old? Doesn't that happen a lot? Well... In the sense of, do I, I have all kinds of, you know, like everybody does, you know, uh, I get questioned and challenged and encouraged more than once every eight years. But this was one that stood out, is why I'm telling you this story. And I've, I, but two things happened in that that I can remember. One is, I can remember saying, I don't know that I've felt that kind of grace and love, speaking the truth in love, at that level, okay, in this case, what the people I, report to in, in, in a serious way. I don't know that I'd experienced in that way before. That both humbled me, but also inspired me to greater faithfulness. Okay? It was, it was profound. The second thing that it did for me was honestly, in that whole experience, I saw myself in ways that I don't know that I had seen myself before. In other words, I, I, um, I was familiar with the words, the behaviors, whatever that were talked about, but I, I got to see how someone experienced me, OK? 
okay, reflected in this note, even in the elders' conversation, how I was experienced that um, I didn't fully appreciate and, and it was not in line with my intentions, but nevertheless true. But I realized, you know what? I can do better. And I've just been given permission to do better. And with God's help, I'll get there. This is what we're talking about. If a brother or sister sins, so sometimes we automatically go to, well, I've never committed adultery. I, and by the way, I should get, it, I did not break one of the Ten Commandments, okay? <laughs> you probably, well, what is this, okay? But let me say something. You, you know this, okay? As a pastor, really should be as a Christian, but this in, I think it's in First Timothy, um, you know, we're supposed to live above reproach. Right? Now, that's an old word, but it means even above accusation, okay? So it's a hard, uh, that, 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 that's, the, that's, that's the way it goes. But, um, but, you know, sometimes we hear that and we go, well, Rob, we love this passage, but, you know, adultery, check, not done it, murder, not done You know, I'm good with the 10. But I would go beyond the top 10 or the medium 20 or the, you know, uh, you know, I think I need people in my life, you do, who can call you on um, your, um, your poor attitude, your bitterness that you won't let go, or unforgiveness that you might have towards someone and say, listen, I've known you long enough. That thing that you keep talking about, about that person and what happened to you, you need to let it go, right? Where two or three are gathered in my name and they agree upon anything, there I am with them. What does it look like? Galatians 6, 1 says this quickly. I quoted it, I think, a little bit earlier. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now watch this. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted, right? Well, what's the temptation in that passage? I think it's clearly the, the judgment. So here's my temptation, right? This problem, this issue, this, this you know, lack of faith all the way to something, some great sin, you know, it's not mine, so I'm coming to you, and I'm doing what God's calling me to do, but really I just want to, I want to be one up on you. I want, or I may not even know that, but all of a sudden it's really, it's about arrogance, it's about me. That's the temptation. That's why it says the motivation is to win them over. Do it gently, right? Remember that we are all sinners before a holy God. There's nobody that's going to come into my life and talk to me about anything who themselves is not a sinner, and the same goes the other way, right? We, we, we hold this faith um, you know, preciously and humbly, right? Be tempted. But let me tell you one other quick thing. This is sort of an aside. I'm going to do it very quick. There's another temptation. I don't know that it's what's, what's being mentioned in this passage, but it's in the New Testament. Why don't we do more of this? Well, one, we're, we don't want to be tempted. We don't want to come off as self-righteous, which is, is an unhealthy um, reality. But instead of having a loving focus on the weaknesses of our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That's what this passage is talking about, if a brother or sister. Sometimes the church, maybe not you, maybe not me, is pretty good at having a not-so-loving focus on people on the outside. In other words, we're really good at calling people on their problems and their sins and their failures, but it's not each other, 
right? We make this tacit agreement. You don't bother me. I won't. Now let's go out and talk about all of the many problems in the world, right? Let's go curse the darkness in the world. And we do that. And sometimes we say that's how we deal with this, you know, our, our, our feelings about what's, of dealing with what's wrong out there. But here, see, when we do that, we're not helping the church, right? Because the people out there in the world, the gospel is not, um, you know, stop sinning. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, you know, uh, uh, do these, turn your life around and God will love you. The gospel is not God has come to judge you for the wrongs you're doing. It's God was judged for the wrongs that you do. And that love motivates, we hope, a, a, a true conversion, right? Paul says this, quick verse, 1 Corinthians 5. The church had this problem in the first century. They loved pointing the finger at all the problems in the world, but they looked a blind eye to their own problems. What business is it of mine? Paul's talking to this church in Corinth who had some sexual sin going on. It's going to sound kind of crazy, but they had sexual sin in the church. They were so young in their faith and their understanding of the gospel, they thought in their correspondence that not only do we have sexual sin, you know, between these people, but because God's grace is so broad and bright, not wide and broad, not only are we kind of letting it go because God forgives sin, but we're almost, in a way, maybe Paul's being hyperbolic, but we're almost... It's okay, we're almost not proud of it, but it's kind of, it's cool because God's grace is so big. So we're, we're looking the other way in this egregious uh, sin because God's grace is rich. Paul says, listen, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? And the reason he says that is he had said to them, they should not, um, you know, um, uh, be in, 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 in community with people who were involved in sexual sin and greed, and he mentions other things. And so what they thought that meant was, if you read the 1 Corinthians 5, was we need to stop going to Starbucks, and we need to stop going to Wegmans, and we just need to stop engaging with the world. And Paul says, what are you talking about? That's where God died for the world. When I told you to distance yourself or to get real about sin, I wasn't talking about those outside. I was talking about those inside. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? That's God's business. You are to judge those inside the church. But I think this is what happens. Maybe you'll agree or disagree. I'm kind of of this uh, stripe too. Sometimes I, I think all this, you know, um, rage against the sins of the world out there, you know, you name it. I mean, the list is long. You know, think of, you know, whatever it is. And, and sometimes I see that portrayed in the media and I say, you know, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. You know, yes, I, I think the, the Bible has moral standards, and especially as Christians, but I, I, I don't want to be identified with the X-haters and the Y-haters and the anti-fill-in-the-blank people because that's not the gospel. But see, what I do, I become so allergic, we become so allergic to not want to being identified with the moral majority or the, the holy rollers or whatever term you want, that we end up swinging too far the other way and we say, we don't want to talk about sin at all right? So when it comes to the sins that the Bible talks about, we say, well, listen, the best way to deal with it is I'm not going to identify. I just want you to know, neighbors and friends, those crazy people out there that are, you know, blowing up these kinds of things and, and, and being really, you know, focused on this one or two kind of moral sin, that's not me. 
But I care so much about that, right, that I say, well, let's not talk about it at all. But here's what one writer said. This is very interesting. A disciplining church, that's what this is talked about, will prove more loving in the long run, even though it's hard, than a church that advertises God's love but shows no great interest in whether this love is practiced by her members, okay? What people are looking for, it's not a fill-in-the-blank, and it's not a free pass to live however you want to live. Neither one of those is the gospel. But it's people who've been genuinely transformed, right? And people who are willing to, in a thoughtful way, speak the truth in love and have a growing and transforming community. That's what the world needs to see, right? And you know what? The longer the world gets crazier and there's always going to be segments of the body of Christ, real or imagined, that are out there doing things that catch the media's attention, guys, we need to learn to deal with it. Because if we get so sick of that and distance ourselves from that and, and, and at the same time decide we just, we're just going to not touch sin at all, everything's okay. Let me tell you something. We got no testimony. We got no witness. Game over. Okay? We, need, we are our brother's keeper. And we need to realize that we're going to get better at this by loving, accountable community with one another. Second thing, and just the, uh, the second big idea in this passage, the smallest group of believers enjoys the largest promise of God. I did not do justice in my minutes to this passage to spend all that time on sin because the larger focus of this passage is not on sin, right? This sober subject of, of dealing with sin in our lives. It's really on the power of the community to do good. Let me try to do this really quick and we'll be done. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What in the world does that mean? If you're a Bible reader, Jesus had said those very same words two chapters earlier to Peter, the apostle, who was the chief, um, he was the head of the entire Christian movement at the time. Peter, St. Peter, okay? And he says to Peter, this is a, this is a loose paraphrase, but pretty close, um, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, Matthew 16. And with those keys, they mean authority, okay? If you read a lot of comments, he's talking about the authority. They're a metaphor. They're, they're a symbol. With those keys, this is what I want you to do. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Wow. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's almost as if someone was a zillionaire and they gave me their access to their funds and they say, Whatever, you know, whatever check you write is going to be honored, okay? That's really what Jesus is saying to Peter. And he's saying, I'm giving you the authority as the head of this uh, movement that, not that Peter's going to, you know, say things that are in, out in sync of what Jesus is saying, but he's saying, you're going to execute it. Remember what I said before, not every, the Bible doesn't give answers to every single question, right? There's only 10 commandments, but there's a thousand things I need to think about in life, so do you, right? So he's saying, listen, Peter, I'm going to give you whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, right? I say, I'm Peter. John and Heidi, I think, this is what I want you guys to do. That's what you get for sitting in the front row. What, you know, uh, I want you to um, do this and that with your kids, and I want you to stop doing this and that and, 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 and in service of your marriage. These are the three things I want you to do, okay? Now, I'm just Peter. I'm just the pastor, but what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. That's authority. Now, 
Two chapters later, though, it means what is binding and loosing means listening and not listening to the counsel of other believers. First, it's Peter. We can all take a pass because he's the chief and he's an apostle. But here, there's no apostles, there's no pastors, there's, no, there's nobody of authority in here at all. Right? This, is, this is boots on the ground, grass level, where two or three are gathered. It doesn't say two. White people, black people, smart people, not so smart people, went to seminary, didn't go to seminary. There's no qualification. White, black, women, men, where two or three are gathered, right? What they bound will be bound in heaven, and what they loose will be loosed in heaven. And then he's, gonna set, he's sort of saying the same thing in a different way. Again, again, I tell you, in case you didn't get the last, uh, let me say it another way, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done by them by my Father in heaven. He's saying, listen, it's not willy-nilly, you know, a magic trick. Obviously, it, the last part says, in my name, okay? It's in line with, with, with the revelation of God, the teachings and commandments of Jesus. What he's saying is this. You've got to be in community. Community is a powerful thing. God invests his authority in community. And whether it's a small group of eight people, whether it's you and your husband and wife, whether it's you know, a group of guys on a Thursday morning, whatever it is, if it's in Jesus' name, which means, what does that really mean? That the group is in the direction, right, of the authority of Jesus, right? That's what it really means. If you're in submission, what it means, when it says we pray in Jesus' name, it's not about the words like it's a coda, like it's, a, it's, it's the signature. It means I'm giving these requests under the authority. I'm submitting myself to the power and authority of Jesus. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And he's saying, listen, I'm gonna come to you if I'm in a small group of people and say, listen, guys, you know me. Ladies, you know me. I got this issue. And whether it's a sin issue that you've called me on or, or just a, a struggle, a weakness, a, a fear, or it's something else. You know, Rob, you've been talking forever about writing that book. I'm just making that up. But whatever it is, okay, or, 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 or starting this um, mentoring thing, whatever it is, you've been talking about it. We're here to agree with you to do that, okay? Because many of us are not achieving what it is that God wants us to achieve because we don't, we, we don't have real community in our lives. And we're good at talking about what's wrong with the world, um, but we're not so good at talking about where we can get better as followers. So this is where I want to close. Last point, I'll just throw it up there. It's a reiteration of, of verse 20. God's, it's God's presence in the community that holds the power to change your life. That's what he's really saying. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Okay? That's what he means. This is how, you know, the church, the word church, if I didn't say this already, is only used two times in all the Gospels. Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. This is it. If all you had were the Gospels and you said, what is the church? And you were doing a, a research paper, you'd say, the church is people who get together and, and exercise um, communal authority uh, in prayer requests in Jesus' name. That's what the church is. Because it's only mentioned two times by Jesus and it's over the same subject. 
Matthew 16, Matthew 18. So I want to just pray for us. I want to practice this as a congregation, right? In God's presence, the community holds the power to change your life. But as I say amen, while I'm praying, I should say, I'm going to invite some folks up here um, while maybe the rest of us, whoever wants to, I hope you're going to enjoy a meal and have some fun out there and, and, and meet some people. Say hello. Be the body of Christ. Be the family. But some of you may want to say, you know what? I got something on my heart and my mind. I want, I want someone to agree with me this morning in prayer. And whether you say it or not, I want to live this verse out. And, and we have some elders that are going to be up here, uh, friends, that will pray with you. The service will be over, but you come up and pray. And let me say this, too. If you'd say, Rob, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm not in community. I did it for years, and now I don't do it anymore. Been there, done that, or I've had a bad experience, or, you know, I, I, you know whatever the case may be. Let us help you, right? There are a lot of opportunities, right? It doesn't have to be, it could be a, a classic small group. Three weeks from today, we're going to launch some. It's in the bulletin. Today, you can start the process. There's women that meet on Monday night. There's a guy's launch that's happening October the 7th. Um, there's small groups that meet that are starter groups for a month. There are a number of ways to do it. Um, and then the other thing is some of us are in small groups like me, but we don't practice this. In the, in the way that we can. Amen? So it's up to us. Right? The presence of God, it's in the presence of God in community that holds the power to change your life. Um, let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning as your children, imperfect in our own eyes, but perfect in yours because of the grace and salvation found in your son, Jesus Christ. We confess our faults and sins before you and we're necessary to each other. We long to know more fully the experience of being the church in this world, of joining with our brothers and sisters in greater submission to your name. Help us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.